You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's up, Tar Heel fans? This is Taylor Vipolis, and you are listening to my podcast on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. And before we get started today, I just want to say thank you for listening or watching. If you're on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. It's something that we at Inside Carolina would appreciate, and it hardly takes any time. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the shows or content we put out. Now let's get to why you're here today. For people who are watching, you could see who's with me. We've got the legend, Sherelle McMillan. As the resident recruiting expert, I thought it would be fun to bring Rel on and take a look back at recruiting at Carolina with some superlatives when it comes to basketball. So Rel, uh, first off, you know, thanks for joining me. And second, you know, can you just kind of explain to me and the listeners like when you got started with recruiting and, and you know how long you've kind of been doing this for? Yeah. So first off, for anyone who's watching on YouTube, I want to apologize for ruining, you know, the image (laughs) that you might have me in your head. So this is me. Um, So, yeah, I was an undergraduate student um, some time ago at North Carolina and uh, released a story about AIM, uh, AOL Instant Messenger. So there's this guy who I uh, had been following his website, uncbasketball.com at the time. And his username was Ben at UR, the school he went to. And uh, it was Ben Sherman. And I just was like, hey, man, what's up? Enjoy your recruiting stuff. Pretty awesome. You know, just being really awkward and angsty teenager. Uh, so he had me back and was like, yeah, we go to tournaments, blah, blah, blah. And we started talking. And from there, we went to a tournament. Um, actually, the last one before Inside Carolina was created in 2001, we were at the Peach Jam in Augusta. And uh, Ben was taking phone calls from people during that. He was trying to keep it secret from us because, you know, we weren't we didn't really know each other that well at that point. Um, and so since then, I've, I've been with IC. So that's 19 long years ago. Just a few ground that's rules. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> background. But, you know, before we get started with the superlatives, uh, just a few ground rules I think that are worth mentioning for the listeners is that this will only be about commits that came to UNC. So it resonates more with the fan base. And also these superlatives will be from at the time of their commitment and during their recruiting process and unless otherwise stated by, you know, one of us and, you know, Rel, going back to your earlier days, like you just mentioned, who was the first commit that you can uh, remember covering? Um, covering, covering, like as a serious capital J journalist or whatever was probably Harrison Barnes. Um, but from working as a correspondent or whatever with IC was probably Raymond Felton or Rashad McCants, one of those two. Um, that, that first summer that I was out on the trail was the year that they were coming up, um, entering their senior year. So that was the class with Sheldon Williams and JJ Reddick and um, uh, Raymond Felton, Rashad McCants, Sean May, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, it was a really good class to, to kind of learn about recruiting with. And where I got this idea from originally was the Kerwin Walton commitment thread, which went on, you know, hundreds (laughs) and hundreds of pages. And it's, it got me thinking, you know, like if this is happening now, I, I have to imagine the fans have 
done something to this level before. So who gets the superlative for best message board thread centered around a commit? Yeah, that, that current Walton thread was a little fishy for those who were uh, in it for the entire weekend. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, Harrison Barnes, uh, for sure. Um, that was, it was crazy because, um, you know, he was a lot for Duke and then he wasn't. And anytime you talk about Duke and Carolina, when it comes to recruiting, things get a little crazy. And um, I don't think really anybody believes necessarily, like people thought that Carolina led and Kendall Marshall did a great job kind of recruiting him along with the staff. I don't know if anybody really, really thought deep down that he was going to come to Carolina. And it just, I don't know. I think the back then there was a thread limit of like 50 pages. And I think it, there was like a few of them <laughs> with the 50 pages. And just the, the amount of craziness involved with that one. I mean, there were serious ramifications for some people. But for a lot of people, it was just kind of jokes and fun, fun games. But that one was, was pretty crazy because it lasted. It, it, it wasn't as um, long as someone like Seventh Woods where we knew when he was a freshman in high school all the way up until signing day of his senior year. But it was so bright from like, you know, that April until he decided that November. Uh, it was just craziness. And who gets the superlative for best communicator? So if you want to get in touch with this person for an article or maybe for a scoop, they're going to give you uh, the information you want in a timely fashion. Gosh, as a recruit, I mean, uh, I don't want to be cliche, but it's got to be Marcus Page. I mean, he was just like, there. there is a naivety that comes with, um, you know, becoming um, a high school basketball player and becoming someone who's known nationally. And there's a process of them losing that over the course of reporters calling them and coaches calling them. And Marcus never seemed to lose that. Like, you could call him. Our, a story I'll tell, we were at the, um, uh, the Jordan, All Jordan brand All-Star game. Back then, I think this is 2012, 2013. It's 2012. It's 2012. So it's like spring of 2012. It was in Charlotte and Paige was injured. And, you know, JP Tokoda was there. And I think Bryce Johnson was there as well. And I was trying to get something together with the entire class. And so JP was like, hey, man, why don't you call Marcus, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, I don't want to bother him. He's injured. He really wanted to be here. I'm at um, it's Time Warner Arena or Spectrum Center now. I'm at Time Warner Arena then. And I just go to the concourse and call Marcus Page. And he talks on the phone for like 25 minutes. Just gives articulate answers. Talks about how ready he is to come to Carolina. Talks about his teammates. Gives like a scouting report on all of them. <laughs> just, I mean, just that kind of thing where it went from not being able to talk to him to being on the concourse during the game talking to him for 25 minutes. So I, I have to go with Page who is on the opposite end of that, the worst communicator, maybe in terms of, you know, they're just not responding to any messages you, you, you uh, are sending out. Oh, it was Seventh Woods. Um, I think it's not particularly close just because he didn't, the, the way his family structured his recruitment, he didn't really talk unless you got him. You know, I went down to a small AAU tournament uh, one May at like 9.30 a.m. just to try to get seventh. There was no one else of interest in that game. We drove down to Columbia. We got there, and then they were like, yeah, he's not talking today. Um, so it was just that kind of way with him. You had to go through his mom and his, and his dad um, and his AAU coach, who now we're, you know, I'm really good friends with, uh, even after seventh is gone. But, you know, you just, it was hard to get seventh on the phone or, or any contact with him at all. Who gets the superlative for best parents, ones that, you know, were your favorite to talk to? I know it's, it's, it's tough trying to narrow it down because yeah. you might like a lot of parents, but yeah. if, you, if you're pressed to give the best parent award, who's it going to? I'm going to cheat, so I'll go ahead and tell you that now. Um, <laughs> so I'll give three. So um, 
Kennedy Meeks's aunt, Brenda Richmond, is great. Um, got to know her very well, friends to this day. Um, texted with her not long ago, actually. Um, just really um, all about, you know, making sure that Kennedy was taken care of and make sure that people were, she didn't mind people talking to him. She just wanted to know what they were talking about. And I think that's perfectly reasonable for your, you know, 17, 18 year old. And then um, Harold Little, um, the Little family in general, but mostly Harold, again, someone who I'm friends with now, even after this year has gone, you know, send pictures of my kids to him, you know, just check in with them. And then Sharon and Lloyd Jackson as well. Um, same thing, you know, I, they move past people you have, uh, connections with via recruiting to just, you know, kind of lifelong friends. And so um, same thing with Lloyd and, and Harold. Like I said, I talked to them not long ago and uh, sending pictures of my kids. So uh, really great relationships with those people. That's cool to hear that you have relationships with these parents, even after their, after their sons move on and moving to one of the more fun categories, best hair. <laughs> Kobe is Kobe. It's, it's, that's easy, right? I mean, uh, his hair, in there. yeah, his hair evolved too. <laughs> you know, it wasn't always, he always had long hair, but it wasn't what it is now. Like he's got a lot of, a lot of hair now. Um, but his, it, even the first time uh, me and Ben saw him play, we were like, you know, it's this guy at the time it was un- unclear. So let's, we're talking about him in high school, not what he turned out to be. But we're like, is this kid, you know, someone who Carolina can really offer as a point guard? And the first time we ever saw him play, I promise you, it was in Hampton, Virginia. We're at an AAU game, 16 and under, CP3 is playing. Kobe gets the ball, you know, flying up and down the court, like his hair is flopping and everything. And he goes for a layup and like hits the uh, support and is out for the game. I, I don't know if he was, concu- I don't know what happened, but it was just like, wow, this kid goes really hard because that was the only thing we saw him do that entire game. Um, I just remember his hair kind of flopping up and down for those listening. I'm motioning my hands up and down. I remember his hair flopping like that. Uh, so I have to go with Kobe for hair. Who are you giving the superlative for, for best recruiter in terms of once they were committed, they were getting others on board. So I'll give you two. I think second place was, I think Kennedy always did a good job of, of hosting people. There's <laughs> the famous uh, night with Andrew Wiggins in Chapel Hill where like Kennedy is on Twitter, I think, or somewhere like, Hey, where's, where's the party? We want to bring Andrew Wiggins <laughs> to the party to get him to go to Carolina. Um, but there's a, a lot of people I've talked to over the years who said, you know, just having him around, he's kind of goofy, really funny, but also could be serious. Um, they really liked him that way. And then um, it's kind of ironic because now he's director of recruiting for UNC basketball, but I think Kendall Marshall, is probably the best, um, and not just because of Harrison Barnes, but again, the way he played, um, his play was part of it too. So the way he played, and then his personality, I think people naturally gravitate towards him. Um, so between playing style and how he just was as a person, how early he committed to Carolina, I think all of that made him a really effective recruiter for um, um, not just his class in 2010, but he was already committed when John Henson and all those guys committed in 2009 because he committed. I believe it was his September of his sophomore year. So he was a really, really early commit. And so he'd been working, you know, classes all the way from 09 to like 12 almost. Um, so that's how impactful he was just because he was committed for so long. Who gets the superlative for best highlight tape? Seventh Woods. <laughs> um, I mean, incredible. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. There's still, I, I just, I don't understand, you know, how he went from where he was to what he did at Carolina, you know, injury, circumstance, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, his mixtape was just, it was just incredible. No one really ever seen anything like that. I was at the game. Inside Carolina was at the game. 
um, that really propelled him to national prominence. Uh, it was at the Chick-fil-A Classic in Columbia, South Carolina. I think this is probably 2014, maybe, maybe 2015, 14 or 15. Anyway, he comes on the court and just like jumps over a guy and ducks on him. And the crowd erupts, and it's number one on SportsCenter. And, you know, I think about three months later is when the mixtape dropped. And just the guy was doing incredible things athletically. And we just never got to see that at, at UNC for whatever reason. But his mixtape was – it's still the stuff of legends. You go back and look at it, you'd be like, man, this kid has to be in the NBA right now. But, you know, he's entering his uh, senior year at South Carolina. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw, like, Seventh Woods' highlight tape. I think it was, like, he was in, like, eighth or ninth grade, and I was like – this might be the best player I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, everybody was like, okay, there's, you know, Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, Magic, Seventh. Like, because uh, <laughs> it was just, he was so far ahead of everyone else. And maybe that, maybe that's probably the issue is that he was just, his body matured faster athletically, athletically and everything. But it was, it was just incredible to watch, man. Who gets the superlative for best to watch live? Best to watch live. Um, that's tough. I'll go Harrison Barnes just because um, – so when people talk about LeBron James, I, I promise I'm going I'm to get to the point. When you talk about LeBron James, it's always that, you know, he entered the NBA with as much hype, you know, maybe as anyone ever. And not only has he, you know, kind of uh, lived up to it, but he's really surpassed the hype that he had, which is almost an impossible task. So when we first went to see Harrison Barnes, um, this is – I guess this is 2009, like April 2000. Yeah, April 2009, I think is when it was. Um, me and Ben, we're in Hampton. We're at the Boo Williams facility. It's a Friday night. Yeah, I think he has the second game, maybe the second or third game. And our expectations have just been, you know, built up so high that it's like Harrison Barnes is phenomenal. This kid is going to be number one in the class. He's the future. He's Carmelo 2.0, et cetera, et cetera. And not only did he come out, he was playing for Howard Pulley, was his team out of Minnesota. He came out and he just dominated. I mean, he, he was as advertised. And to me, whenever you can – match the hype that's uh, associated with you that's when I'm really impressed and all the pressure as someone who's pres the presumptive number one player in the class and with Duke and Carolina and everybody offering and he delivered that Friday night with a team that frankly wasn't that great um, so to me that's that's one of the more um, impressive performances we've seen yeah it's always interesting to hear about HB being the number one player in the class and I know fans are going to love hearing you recount your stories of here of watching him play, but who would you give the superlative for best shooter, best pure shooter, best pure shooter? Well, the easy answer would be to go straight to Wayne Ellington. Right. Um, but I didn't, honestly, I didn't see him in AU a, a, a ton. That's a tough one for a few reasons, because all the guys, you know, they had stretches in different games. Like Bobby Frazier had that incredible uh, weekend in Houston. We weren't there for that, but he had that incredible weekend. Um, there were times where Ty Lawson, even though he didn't become like a great shooter until he was a junior, where he was, you know, phenomenal. But I think Justin Jackson, for me, um, and I know he's kind of recent, um, but it seemed like he was making everything and he always made everything in AU. And obviously he didn't, but it felt that way because um, that floater, you know, at six, seven, six, eight, just just nobody in high school who could defend it. And it was kind of like if he got past you, it didn't have to be a jump shot, but if he got past you, then the floater was going to go in. Um, so I'll, I'll go him, but I, I don't feel quite as confident on that one as, as um, some of the others. It, it, I, I, so I'll take that back. So Jackson, most recent, Rashad McCants, maybe, ever. Um, kid could just shoot. I mean, he always could shoot. And it, was, it looked so easy to him. Like he was just kind of, for those listening, I'm just throwing my hands up in the air. It's just like he was just kind of, <laughs> you know, throwing the ball to the rim and would always go in. So maybe those two. 
now we covered shooting. Who gets a superlative for best dunker? Oh, man. In-game or overall? Uh, you could split it. In-game, I think I'll go with Bryce. Um, we, again, we saw Bryce at the Peach Jam. I guess this was 2011, maybe, like June – or excuse me, July 2011. And, like, everything he did was a dunk. <laughs> it, was, it was phenomenal. It was on court one. So you walk into the facility, you go to your right. And um, the team wasn't very good. It was a CP3 team. And it wasn't their best year. Um, but everything Bryce did was either a block or a dunk, I think. Um, so that, I, that always um, stuck in my mind. But overall, I think it's, it's JP Tokido. I mean, he could, do, he could do some things just because of his vertical leap and his athleticism. You know, it always didn't translate to the court. Um, but he was, he was a phenomenal dunker. Um, seventh is up there, but he couldn't do, you know, some, he just kind of had the right hand tomahawk. That was kind of what he could do mostly, but, but JP could kind of do everything. That's who I, in my mind, uh, JP, yeah. that's who I thought you would go with. But, yeah. uh, all right, let's take a quick break here so I can remind everyone about Johnny T-Shirt. As a small, locally-owned business in Chapel Hill, Johnny T-Shirt needs your support now more than ever. They've got everything you could want when it comes to Carolina apparel, and they always have the best prices, so it's a win-win for Carolina fans, especially with Father's Day around the corner. Now is the perfect time to start stocking up on more Carolina gear because – as we know, Carolina fans, they can't get enough Carolina gear. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Rail, getting back to the superlatives, who is the tallest commit that you can remember covering? I think it's Walker Kessler, um, who's a 2020 signee. Uh, because all the other guys were, you know, 6'10", 6'11". I think Joel James was seven foot, but he, he's someone who we never really got to see him play AAU. Um, we had to, you know, go through Evan, Daniels, and Brian Snow, some of the national guys. Uh, so I, I think it's Walker Kessler. Like, we went down uh, to his high school and did, like, a feature story on him back in November. And doing this for a while, you get used to kind of how tall basketball players are, like, I think people don't realize someone like Steve Kerr is a giant, <laughs> uh, even though he looks small on TV, like he's huge. And so he's six, four, maybe. And so I walked into the gym and I'm short. I'm like five, eight and a half on a good day, you know, with, with stilts on. Five, nine, I walk into the gym. Nine, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I walk into the gym and I see Walker Kessler. And I just kind of, again, for those listening, I'm looking up at this guy. I'm just looking at him like, like you know, this guy's huge. Like he's just massive. <laughs> Um, and I think he's up to like seven, one and a half, seven, two now. Wow. So I think he's the tallest player uh, we've covered since I've been doing this. Wow. I can't wait to see him out on the court just, just with that height. Cause for high school basketball, we were playing uh, DeMatha this year. And I remember just going into gyms, like it was always normal seeing kids that are like in the six, seven, six, eight range, kind of like you mentioned. And then uh, the Michigan commit Hunter Dickinson walked in and I was like, this might be one of the biggest kids I've ever yeah, seen. Massive guy, yeah. yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing Kessler on the court. 
but on the opposite end of that, who is the shortest commit that you can remember? You know, I think it's Ty Lawson. It's either him or Joel Berry. Um, I think Ty might be a little shorter than Joel, um, but yeah, I think it's Ty Lawson, and he obviously did fine in college. So, Ty Lawson or Joel Berry, those are two guys who left with the national championship. So yeah, we got to yeah. start recruiting that high. <laughs> they need more 5'10", 5'11 point guards. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who is the superlative going to for the early commitment that you can recall? I think it's Kendall. Um, yeah, he committed – I'm pretty sure it's September or October of his sophomore year. So he was class of 2010. So that would have been like September of 08 maybe. I think that's right. Uh, forgive my math anyway it was a long long time uh because you know back in the day he did a commitment like diary with ic um we could probably go back and find that somewhere uh, or a, com- a commitment journal mm. we could probably go back and find it somewhere and there's like years of entries in there talking about you know how he switched schools and his you know his his uh train ride you know across town and how long it took and just how he's trying to develop as a player so pretty sure he had the earliest commitment um you know, just after his freshman, at the very beginning of his sophomore season. That journal is something I, I didn't know about because I, I only started following Carolina basketball in, once I got accepted to the school. Well, I, mm-hmm. I knew of Carolina basketball, and Carolina was my favorite team, but I wasn't following recruiting or keeping up with all that stuff. So that's something I'm definitely going to keep – I'm writing down for people who uh, – aren't watching on YouTube. That's something I have to check out later. But who was the biggest surprise in terms of commitment? So I'm going to cheat again because there's so many players. It's just hard. But I'd say Brandon Wright um, was probably number one uh, because – and you talk about crazy matches worth threads, but um, there's a poster that Sunday morning. So the way things work after official visits is we start to like talk to people close to the situation on both sides and try to gather us some information so we can at least do a, Hey, this is how the visit went. You know, they typically say, Oh, it went great. And everything was fine. And then we try to dig deeper as the day goes along before we talk to the kid or, you know, the parent or a coach or anything. Um, And so that Sunday morning, I think, a poster, forgive me y'all if I get it wrong, but I think it was Marlon Davis is the poster's name. It's just like Brandon Wright is going to Carolina. Mark it down, book it, it's done. And at the time, but we talked about the Carolina-Duke dynamic, everyone assumed that he was going to go to Duke. And Carolina was a long shot, and they had a better chance of getting, you know, Thad Young or, or Kevin Durant or whoever. And, um, you know, lo and behold, Brandon Wright committed not longer. And so, the you know, for a long time, you know, Marlon Davis is a name. People, I'm, The fact that I remember a message board poster's name from – what was that 14 years ago should tell you just how, <laughs> how much of a surprise it was and then I'll go to Walker Kessler again against Duke with the presumptive favorite he barely got home and, and announced a commitment now part of it was that he didn't really get to do it the way he wanted because of some other factors but just the fact that he went from everyone telling us Auburn Duke Auburn Duke Auburn Duke to him visiting UNC him getting on the road driving home for six hours and by the time Really, they said basically by the time he got on 85, he was like, yeah, I'm going to Carolina, you know, from the Smith Center. And then by 10 o'clock that night, it was announced and he was a Carolina commitment. So I think those two um, are are the biggest surprises. And Puff would be a a distant third, but that was a big surprise to, to, to a lot of people. Pulling back the curtain a little, how often does a commitment catch you off guard like that where 
do you have any instances where, you know, you're out and about and somebody commits and you're like, I have to get home right now to cover this? Uh, yeah. So I'll give you some, some behind the scenes, how the sausage is made type deal. So, <laughs> uh, I guess this is about a year ago. Um, we were at, um, well, I was at, in Atlanta at the Peach Jam, or sorry, I'm getting everything confused. I was in Atlanta at the first session of uh, Nike ZYBL. And um, at the game, we're looking for some players, trying to figure out where the coaching staffs are and everything. And I get a call from someone, and it's like, hey, I'll go ahead and say it. It's like, hey, do you want to talk to Christian? Because he's committing to Carolina in 30 minutes, Christian Keeley. And, you know, I had been talking to people, trying. we knew that he was probably going to commit to Carolina. By the time, he said he was going to wait until, like, Mother's Day. And so um, I have my IC laptop with me. However, the battery wasn't working. So I run to my car, I get the charger, I go into the hallway and sit on the hard floor. I'm on the phone with Ben over here, you know, talking to him, giving him updates. I've got my full-time job uh, phone over here. I'm looking stuff up, like stats and everything. Then I'm on Slack talking to Michelle, uh, saying, hey, can you help me get this story prepped? And then I talk to Christian and do the interview and type everything on the floor um, while an AU game is going on. So that's just, I mean, there's, there are so many examples of that where, you know, Ben will text me and he'll be like, Hey, I'm going to go take a shower because blah, blah, blah. And if anything happens, let me know. And he comes back and I'll be like, yeah, kid committed and we talk to him and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, that stuff happens a lot more than people think. That's why whenever people ask me about commits or recruits, I'm like, I get all my information from, from Rel. He's, <laughs> he's the best in the business. He's covering this. He's got his feet on the ground. I I would just be guessing and giving an ill ill informed opinion. So I send everybody their way when it comes <laughs> to recruiting. But getting back to the superlatives, who would you say was the worst kept secret commitment? Isaiah Hicks. Yeah, and, and it's not because um, he announced the you know he announced like, hey, I'm gonna let y'all know my decision in a few weeks, and these are the schools I'm looking at, and the like, final list with a more of the schools he wasn't interested in. We interviewed him in uh, May 2001. It was the first year. There's a thing called the Tournament of Champions that used to happen at Carolina. It was a huge deal. Um, it was split between Carolina, NC State, and Duke. And hundreds of AAU teams and literally thousands of players would come to the triangle. It was a chance to see all the top talent. Like we saw Amari Stoudemire there. That was the first time we saw him play. Excuse me. Ray Felton had like an infamous game there against a whole bunch of uh, Division One players. Anyway. So this is the first year that that had become kind of a, a lesser of a big deal. And I'm talking to Isaiah because he's a rising sophomore, I think, um, at the time. And we're like, you know, what schools are you interested in? And he's like, I want to go to Carolina. And we're like, are, are you sure? <laughs> it's like, do you want, really want to say that? Because a lot of times kids have to realize that coaches see this stuff too. So mm. in, the, in, the, um, in the chance that North Carolina didn't recruit him, then it might be hard for him to get other offers because they would assume that, Hey, if this kid gets a Carolina offer, he's gone. But he was like, no, you can say it. You can write that. I'll go to Carolina. He was like, if you can't go to Carolina, you know, maybe I'll go to NC state or something, but I want to go to Carolina. <laughs> it's the only place I want to go. And uh, I guess it was that August. He took an official uh, unofficial visit um, to uh, UNC. He talked to coach Williams. He got the offer. He got in the car and he was like, I want to do this. And uh, he, um, called me about I guess about an hour and a half later and was like I just committed so it was it was a done deal that quickly oh I know Isaiah so 
him saying, I just committed might have been the only words he said on that call to you, right? <laughs> I, we, 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 it, took, it took about 40 questions, but we got enough for a story out of him. It was, I was living in Hickory at the time. I was in my apartment, and I was just like, I'm going to have to ask him 40 questions to get a story out of this. So that was fun. Yeah. Who gets the superlative for most hype coming in? Oh, man. Um, I will give you more than one answer again, just because there's so many players. But I think Harrison Barnes still has to be number one, uh, simply because he came on the heels of North Carolina winning the national championship. The 2009-10 season hadn't happened yet. So North Carolina was you know, just sky high. They won the title. They dominated. You know, Duke, I'm putting, again, for people who can't see, I'm putting in the air quotations. Duke was struggling on the recruiting trail. You know, they didn't, it seemed like North Carolina had passed Duke. So he had that part going for it, and they beat Duke straight up for him. And then I think he was maybe one of the first freshmen or first couple of freshmen to be named preseason first team All-American. So you have that going for it. Um, and then, you know, eventually you had a team that struggled that 2009-10 season. So him, Kendall, and Reggie were kind of seen as the saviors. Um, you know, for North Carolina basketball after that terrible season, you know, going to the NIT and everything. Um, so I think the combination of all that puts him number one. I would say Cole is probably a, a close number two uh, simply because of the way the roster turned out um, last year, losing Kobe and losing this year and then losing um, the two seniors and Cam Johnson as a grad transfer. You know, you lose so much. Uh, it was inevitable that he was going to have to shoulder a huge burden for the team. I think between that, between being Cole, uh, Greg Anthony's son, between kind of the, the Instagram culture that we have now, which wasn't quite as present when Harrison Barnes came in, I think all that makes him a, a very close number two. That's who I was, I was thinking you would go with Cole, just, just that Instagram culture that you had yeah. mentioned. But this is the one where we could talk about someone that didn't go to UNC. Who is the one that got away, for, in your opinion? So there are a couple. Uh, I'm going to go off the board a little bit. So the two people we'll always go to are Delvon Rowe, who um, uh, allegedly, I won't say allegedly, he did commit to Carolina kind of uh, in confidence and then changed his mind and went to Michigan State. And then Brandon Ingram, who visited Carolina. He probably visited Carolina more than I did, and I lived there for four years. <laughs> he was on campus all the time. Um, and, you know, he's from Kinston, so it was just kind of assumed that he was going to go there. And um, so those two – are who people immediately think of. I'll go off the board, same class, 2015, and go with P.J. Dozier. Um, maybe not a name everybody remembers. Um, he ended up going to South Carolina, and maybe there were some other reasons he ended up at South Carolina. Um, but for the longest time, talking to people close to him, it was Carolina's in good shape. We love UNC. We think that's where he's going to go. Great school. He fits in there. They're recruiting him hard. Even after a torn ACL, even after all the injuries, they really want him. He's going to go there. Um, if you look, if anyone is bored enough to go back and look at kind of the PJ Dozier coverage, you can see kind of how much the people around him liked UNC because they were giving us a lot of the so-called scoops. Like we had um, his official visit list before anyone. We had his school list before anyone because they were kind of feeding it to us because I think they really liked Carolina. And then sometime around August of his senior year or entering his senior year, something changed and they went from the presumptive favorite to out of it and him choosing between Louisville and South Carolina. So I'll go PJ Dozier just for someone different because whenever you ask that question, it's always, always goes back to Delvon Rowe and, and Brandon Ingram typically. Can I give you another name where I'm kind of curious what you think happened in that situation or if he's sure. somebody that 
got uh was in the boat and kind of got out sure. i think from that class too the 2015 class jalen brown i remember seeing jalen brown around on campus and thinking like this guy's having fun he, i think he's coming to carolina the the scoop that i was getting from players on the team that were hosting him or having him around were like this kid's coming to carolina and then commitment comes and he's gone all the way to cal yeah, that's that's interesting <laughs> that he went all the way to Cal, a kid from Atlanta, <laughs> to play for a program not really renowned nationally. Um, and in the past, he's talked about how much he loved Williams and loved his visit to Carolina. That's, that is an interesting question. That's it. <laughs> that's all I got. That's that's it's a good question. Uh, it's, it's a really good question. All right, I've got two more superlatives <laughs> in the overall categories and. This one is one I'm curious, really curious to get your opinion on. The diamond in the rough, the person who you thought wasn't getting the hype that they deserved. Diamond in the rough, the person, oh man. Full disclosure, I had these questions beforehand, but I thought it would be, wouldn't be great to kind of like look too deep into it so I could give real answers. And that one's hard, man. Um, just because of the way his career went, went you, my mind automatically goes to Luke May just because of how his career went. But at the time, I don't think he was, you know, vastly underrated or anything. Mm. Um, man, you, you, I'm, I'm going to have to fill time here for a second while I think. Um, I can I'll go Reggie Bullock. I'll go Reggie Bullock okay. because um, I've always been a, a fan of his. And I just think because – he blended and in, in, I don't use blended in a negative term, but because he was able to play with people and play multiple styles um, that people sometimes forgot about him because he wasn't a die, you know, a, a takeover athlete who could just jump over people. You know, he's more of a smooth skill type player. I think people forget just how good he was even in high school. Um, just like the perfect, if, if I could play basketball and be six, seven and, Say, they would say, hey, who do you want to shoot like? I'd be like Reggie Bullock. It just, to me, his, his form is just so pure and so great. And because he didn't stay for his senior season, I think people forget about him a little bit. He gets lost. But, I mean, you're talking about even, even like the top 20 type recruit, I still think he's kind of forgotten a little bit about how good he really was. Yeah, there's a reason he's still in the league. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Luke May because I want to get your opinion on this. Is Luke May – considered a walk-on i love luke may but <laughs> this is somebody who gets the term walk-on thrown around it sounded like he was promised the scholarship no matter no matter what and then one opened up and he was able to take it like eventually he was going to be put on scholarship right does he count so, as a walk-on so fact when he committed to north carolina it, he did not have a, a scholarship to north carolina so if you want to say, okay, that makes him a walk-on, then that's fine. When he played his first game in North Carolina, he was on scholarship. So I guess it just depends on when, when you go. Because maybe it was that January or February, there was the whole thing about how Roe Williams called him and was like, hey, I just saved your mom you know, $25,000 or something. How do you think they're going to spend that money? Um, but I, I think it just it depends on when you want to take it from. When he committed, he committed as a walk-on. Walk -on. When he entered Carolina, he was on scholarship all four years. This so. is one where I'll have to ask him. If he wants to be considered team walk-on, we'll let him carry our flag. And, and, and if he is, he is the greatest walk-on of all time. <laughs> and the dude had, I mean, he had offers from – people don't realize he had offers from, like, Gonzaga and Virginia and Clemson. And I think because the walk-on story has kind of um, been mythologized a little – I butchered that word. <laughs> because the myth around the walk-on stuff has become so strong, I think people forget that he had those offers and that, you know, this is a, a top 
you know, maybe not top 100 for most people for consensus, but top like 110 mm. consensus and then top 100 for a few services. Um, so yeah, people forget that. But when he committed that October, he was a walk-on. Who gets the superlative for best overall class? Best overall class has to be 2006. I mean, just because, again, we're not talking about what they accomplished in college, even though you could put that up against anybody else too. Um, but entering, entering college, they had the number one point guard, the number one shooting guard, and the number one power forward. And that just hadn't been done in Carolina history. And not only that, you add in someone like Deion Thompson, who ended up being really talented players, um, all who became – all who were first-round picks – um, Brandon Wright, I think, is the only lottery pick, but all were first-round picks. And then you have um, Deion Thompson, who you know was a starter on a national championship team. So I think that is that was the best entering um, high school, just because of how dynamic, specifically uh, Taiwan and uh, Wayne and Brandon Wright were. Looking at the hindsight categories, who outperformed your expectations? Um, we talked about Luke May already. You know, I'm. I'm Luke May's my guy, so I talk about him a lot. Uh, I'd say Marcus Page. Um, I don't think anyone ever envisioned him becoming, uh, you know, a, a second-team All-American as a sophomore. I don't think anyone ever envisioned him being UNC's all-time leader in, in three-pointers made. I don't think anyone ever envisioned him, um, even though he struggled that season, leading a North Carolina team to a tie game with a couple of seconds left in the national championship game. I don't think anybody really ever saw that. And not to go all historical on you, but – you know, he, he, he may be the most important recruit Williams has ever had. Um, one, because of who he was and, and what time he came to Carolina. Like, it was really important to have that combination of someone with his particular demeanor um, at that time when all the NCAA stuff was really, really starting to rage and, and the fire was starting to burn pretty hot. Um, and then just because back then, I think this is early 2011 or 12, you know, Roe Williams offered another point guard um, in that class, L.J. Rose, um, out of Texas, who played for Houston Hoops, the same program that produced Justice Winslow and uh, Justin Jackson and, and, you know, a few other players. And Rose's career didn't quite turn out the way he wanted. He transferred multiple times, mostly because of injury. But there is a scenario, that, you know, if, if you believe in parallel universes, there's some universe where Marcus Page went to Iowa or to Missouri and L.J. Rose went to Carolina. And maybe things are, are very different than, than what they are now. But getting Page um, to come in and then, you know, the kid did not expect Kendall Marshall to go pro. I mean, nobody really did after a sophomore year. So then he comes in at 152 pounds, you know, six foot nothing, 150 pounds, nothing, having to play in the ACC every night. And it was an adjustment for those first, I'd say, first half of the ACC season. And then he kind of picked it up from there. So I'd say Marcus Page. Yeah, I love hearing him kind of talk about coming into college because, like you mentioned, he is always like, yeah, I was coming to learn from Kendall Marshall. I was coming in to back up Kendall Marshall, you know, play <laughs> spot minutes, be a rotational guy. And then all of a sudden Kendall declares and he's like, I think I'm the starting point guard at North Carolina. <laughs> like, do you remember his freshman year, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, was, it was like he couldn't make anything. And Roy Williams kept telling reporters, like, this kid's a good shooter. He's a good shooter. I promise you he can shoot. He can shoot. He can shoot. He can shoot. And everybody's like, okay, they just lost to NC State at NC State by, like, 35 or whatever it was. Like, are you sure? And then right around that time, he started to come along. And then just how he steadied the program through everything it went through over the years. 
you know, it, it was rough there for North Carolina. You were there. It was rough for a few years because, you know, Rory started to hear the stuff about how he was getting older and the game was passing him by. And they had lost 10 games or more in three straight seasons for like the first time ever. And the recruiting wasn't going as well as it was, you know, they wanted to. And it was just all this stuff surrounding the program with NCAA, just everything was kind of coming down on them. And like, I feel like Marcus Page just like just steadied the ship and kept everything afloat until they could get reinforcements in 2014 and 2015. And, you know, I just, you cannot understate his importance to where North Carolina basketball is now. Like if there was ever an inflection point in the middle of the NCAA stuff, you would say when Marcus Page committed, things started to go in a different direction. I'm glad you mentioned my freshman and sophomore year at Carolina watching that team, because I remember at times I was like, I thought I signed up for Carolina basketball. What the heck? <laughs> what the so heck? Your, Iowa State was your first year or Villanova uh, in the tournament? Uh, my first year, hold on, let me stall to type. It was 2012-2013 uh, UNC basketball schedule. I remember thinking – I think that's, that was Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, sounds yeah. right. That yeah, sounds yeah. right. Um, but I remember they lost to, at Indiana – like huge that year they mm-hmm. lost at texas um there was a the at nc state like you mentioned and then i was just thinking like you know what the heck is going on they got <laughs> swept by duke i'm pretty sure that's right yeah. i'm like everybody's telling me how great it is to rush franklin street and i'm like I, I don't know if this team's gonna win but you know i'm glad you mentioned that you think you were talking about the importance of marcus to the program because the category I wanted to end with in hindsight, who do you think was the most important class? Like you mentioned how important Marcus was, but do you think it's enough to push his class to be the most important class for all the classes that you've covered? Uh, Not quite. I think the 2014 class is the most important because as, as solid as the 2012 class was, and you know, the Bryce ended up being a first team all American and Mark is a second team All-American. So it, it's kind of weird because we're like, oh, they were solid. They were a good class. They came in and they were good triers. They tried really hard. But like there's a first team All-American and a second team All-American on, on, in that class. Um, but I, I think as good as they were, they needed that additional firepower and talent to kind of take them over the top. And 2014, Justin Jackson, Theo Pinson, Joel Berry really were able to do that. And the fact that, you know, between, I go back to this all the time, but it still blows my mind. Between 2012, 2013, and 2014, the only seasons they lost from all those guys was J.P. Tokido turning pro a year early. Everybody else stayed all four years. Excuse me, Justin Jackson. So they lost two years. Justin Jackson left a year early, and J.P. Tokido left a year early. But between everybody else, they had all four years. And I think that group kind of stayed, like Marcus Page, saw North Carolina through everything and eventually, you know, led them to a title. But I I think 2014, just because it it pushed um, the 2013 class, which was good in itself, and it pushed the 2012 class to be better, and then the parts started to fit together. So once they got to be sophomores and juniors, you saw how good – you know, they all were together. So I, I, I'll go 2014 just because of when it came, how it came. Um, Joel Berry, you know, they, they had been a long time without a commitment when Joel Berry uh, committed. And then Justin Jackson did it probably a month later. And then Theo Pinson did it maybe a couple months later. So it was all right there in a row. And they needed perimeter help and, and they got it. And, you know, those guys did uh, a wonderful job for the program. And it's hard to argue that with the 2017 national championship and the fact that Carolina is – 
basically always in the top three, top four recruiting classes as teams now. But Rel, I had so much fun talking to you today. I could listen to you talk about recruiting <laughs> and recruiting stories. We might have to, I might just have to come up with more superlatives so we could do this again or yeah. come up with yeah. another topic so we could do this again. But I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me. Yeah, man, of course. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It's good to think about some of those things. Um, yeah, there's, there's now, now everything's starting to come to me, of course, when we're done. I'm like, oh, yeah, there was this guy and this guy. But yeah, definitely fun. I enjoyed it, man. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.